women's retreat is breathe. Men's retreat will be bacon. (laughs) It'll be at my house for two hours. Mike Cloy's in here. Remember that time Cloy's cooked bacon for like three hours? Are you in here? Remember that? Outside, it's like 10 degrees at the church. I went to England twice this summer, and so I started reading BBC News. And it's like smart, smarter version of our news. Does anyone uh, listen, to, is it, listen to BBC? You just feel smarter. I have some British friends here this morning during the Christmas service here, and one from England, she read, and everyone was like, ooh, the Lord's here. She's reading. <laughs> and, and I love BBC. Until I read an article this week from BBC about the most nutritious foods in the world. I need to get something off my chest here. There's a study cited by BBC, the title, Uncovering the Nutritional Landscape of Food. Reveal the following top ten most nutritious foods with their corresponding nutritional scores. Fake news exists in England, and I'm going to prove it to you right now. I'm the pastor here. I'm going to take my time. We may not get to the sermon. Number one, most nutritional food, almonds. Okay, so it's a 97% score. This one's okay, although if almonds are not salted, it's like chewing on cat hair, in my opinion. If you like unsalted almonds, no. It's disgusting. Un- you know, some of these health nuts, well, you know, don't just get almonds. You've got to soak them in water for a month and then, no. Number two, number two most nutritional food with a score of 96. All right, now if you lie, I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to, to punish you, okay? <laughs> Raise your hand if you've eaten this fruit in the past year. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know, manna is called, what is it in Hebrew? Hey, let's get together, have some coffee, and eat some Cherimaya. Do you eat this over there? Of course you don't. Number three, ocean perch. Really? (laughs) We have some avid fishermen in here. Ain't nobody ever eaten ocean perch. What ocean perch carries something that salmon does not? No, stop that. Number four, look at this now. Flatfish. I go to bonefish to get me a filet mignon. Number five, chia seeds. Now, some of you eat chia seeds. You shop at Sprouts. Just move on. Number six, stop it. Stop. Number seven, someone just said, oh. I I honestly, I don't know what a chart is. I really don't. Teresa Harris probably does. She eats healthy food. I have no idea. Let's get together, eat some chard, watch football. Nope. Number eight. (laughs) Number eight. I swear I didn't put that in. It's something I would put in there. (laughs) I promise you. This one, you ever read a tweet? I'm on Twitter for sports. And for the what are they thinking moments, pork fat. Now, some of you in here, please don't come find me at the end of the service and tell me why that's on there. I'm not going to listen to you. I don't want to know. That's ridiculous. Pork fat. 
I've never wanted to be a health nut more in my life than when I read that. Number nine, uh, beet greens, please stop. Number 10, snapper. Snapper made its way in there. I just thought before I got into my epic sermon this morning uh, that I would share five uh, health foods that I believe, how, how did I say it, April? Most nutritional foods for your soul, mind, endurance, and godliness. All right. If you want to lock yourself onto some food that's going to help you go after God more, let's just go from the top in order. Uh, all these are 100% for me. Any form of carbs. Uh, people who do not eat carbs typically are not a good representation of Jesus Christ because they're always upset. Um, you know, when you read like what Paul says godliness is, if you eat carbs, you have to lean into that less than someone who doesn't eat carbs. Have you ever gone on like 30 days without eating carbs? Your wife hates you. Your kids hate you. You get born again, again. Number two, cheese, any kind, heated or cold. Number three, any food not bought at Whole Foods. <laughs> Number four, Chipotle. And number five, caramel. What are y'all going to do when you get to heaven? The Lord says, welcome to my feasting table. And you say, I'm sorry, Lord, I'm on a diet. I can't do that right now. You get to heaven, the Lord's like, why are you so worried about your diet all those years? Come on in and enjoy. We eat all the time up here. At least I pray so. That might be putting my own interpretation on the text. I can't remember the last time I was going to read this much scripture in a sermon, maybe ever. And so um, I'm just going to go for it. And let's see what the Father is saying about this whole series, nevertheless. This series may last a year. Nevertheless is the purpose of the Lord's life down here when he was here. He never did anything on his own initiative. What if you could only... What if, like, instead of grace being real, what if, like, the only way salvation came was, like, you always doing what the Father said? There'd be, like, one person in the history of the church, it'd be Jesus. But yet Jesus, even in the, in the, in the middle of grace, there, there is a continuing presence in his life of him laying down and dying over and over. Selflessness. Nevertheless, not my will, your will be done. And the story of Lazarus is very, so interesting to me, so bizarre. I encourage you to at least attempt to listen to it as though you've never heard it. Imagine this happening in 2020. Or what year are we in? 2019. (laughs) I don't even know what year we're in. Here we go. Verse 1. A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters Mary and Martha. And this is the Mary who later poured expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. And her brother Lazarus was sick. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. I love how they throw dear friend in there. You, you, you ask the Holy Spirit to start opening up your eyes to the um, colloquialisms of Scripture. The, the Holy Spirit is not some boring person. He, he put things in, in the Word that if he'll open your eyes to them. There's a lot of humor in the Bible. I'll show it to you here in a second. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. Picture the disciples' ears perking up. 
you think you're uncomfortable going after the Lord, imagining him being here in the natural and all the things he did, it was just so disturbing. He lived to, to pop balloons. So although Jesus loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. And finally, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. So this is really interesting to me because we're in a series called Nevertheless. What the whole point is, you have true success in life when you lay down your own ambition. You die. And as Tennyson read from stage today, Philippians 2, then you are elevated to a high place in God. But the only way you get there is you can't do whatever you want to do when you want to do it. The number one code in the satanic literal Bible is do whatever thou wilt. That's so bizarre to me. So the satanic world, the dark world, has a code of conduct. Do whatever you want whenever you want. Well, the Lord's code of conduct for the kingdom, which is different from the born-again message, in the kingdom, you can only live in the kingdom if you don't have any plans for your own life, you don't have any ambition, you're, you're laid down. So this is strange to the disciples. And if these guys can make it, you've got to fight and chance. They don't hardly ever know what's going on. When the Lord says, let's go back to Judea, well, here's what you don't know about Judea. They just tried to kill him in Judea. They just tried to stone him in Judea. His friend is sick. He does not say, I better hurry up and go help Lazarus. He says, let's go back to Judea. Well, the disciples say it better than I can. Uh, Verse 8, I love this. But his disciples objected. I'm going to make this so simple. You have to hire someone to help you misunderstand it. Whenever the Lord says something to you, don't ever be an objection to what he's saying. And there is a literal metric of how long it takes you to process what he told you to do and the moment of obedience. If it takes you a long time, perhaps that's not called wisdom and processing. It's probably called unbelief. Because a lot of times, not all the time, but a lot of times what we call processing, the Lord's saying, no, I, I clearly told you we're going to Judea. They objected. And here's why they objected. They did not object because they were evil in their thinking. Carnality in your thinking and evilness in your thinking are not the same thing. Carnality in my thinking is anything that opposes what heaven's realm is saying over my life. The carnal realm sees Judea as they're going to try to kill the Lord again. We better protect the Lord. So many of us have a Messiah complex. Oh my goodness, it manifests all the time. God doesn't need you nearly as much as you think he needs you. (laughs) Oh, I promise. If you are always drawn to try to fix people, just look into the mirror and say, I'm not Jesus, John Doe. There's one Messiah. And as they say in the South, it ain't you. I'm no one's vine. And it takes the pressure off. If you feel pressure in leading other people, it's because you feel responsible for their own spiritual formation. You feel responsible for your own co-workers, the people that you are leading, whether it's friends, community, marriage, children, your, your job, your workplace. The people that win the biggest in the kingdom are those that rest the most in him. See, because rest is not laziness. No, 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 no. Rest is not apathy. Rest is trust. Rest is trust. Carnal thinking is I got to figure everything out. Carnality is not always bad. Like you, you want your airline pilot to be natural realm in his reasoning. Let's say it that way. That's better. You, you want your airline pilot to check his gauges. But when it comes to walking in friendship with God, you better be asking, 
what is the Father currently saying over me? The Lord just about got stoned in Judea. Now he wants to go back to Judea. Here's my question. Why is he going back to Judea? Go to John chapter 8. I love this. Look at this now. Jesus never did anything on his own initiative. I think that's the verse I gave you, April. Look at this. When you have lifted up the Son of Man on the cross, then you will understand that I am he. I do nothing on my own, but only say what the Father taught me. Look at this other verse. It's, it's another couple of verses. That basically, he says, I don't ever do anything unless the Father tells me to do it. Is that John 10 or 11, April? He says, I say what the Father tells me to say. I do what the Father tells me to do. So the Jewish leaders tried to, uh, all the harder to find a way to kill him, for he not only broke the Sabbath, he called God his Father, thereby making himself equal with God. Now look at this. He explained, I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. Here's my point. He was going back to Judea because the father told him to go back to Judea. Now earmark this, because in about 10 minutes, you're going to see that the father tells him to do the exact opposite. There's a common denominator in the success of Jesus. He always chose nevertheless. Do you know what keeps a lot of great people out of the kingdom? Their intellect. Competency can become your crutch. Brilliance can become your God. Because most of the time, God will have you do something that doesn't make a lot of sense in the natural. Why isn't there just one way to get healed? Why has there got to be a pool of Bethesda and mud in the eyes and walk towards the priest? You see this in the Old Testament with King David. King David was told by God in one passage by the Father to do three different things with the enemy coming at him. Flank at the rear, move to the north, and move to the south. All three times, King David, there's one common denominator. He had to keep his mind connected to God, his heart connected to God, because he's the leader and we're not. It makes no sense for Jesus to go back to Judea. They objected. The Father told Jesus to go back to Judea. You see, because what you may be seeing in the natural is threatening to kill you, God may actually be using that as a tool of righteousness in your life. He may actually be leading you into your own Judea seasons when in the natural it says, oh, let me run away from this. Can't I get away from Judea? These people want to stone me. And the Father's like, oh, no, they're, they're fine. They're fine. I had, I had someone recently in my life that had a dream that there were sharks trying to kill me. They were swimming around me. But I was in a fishbowl, and the sharks couldn't get into the fishbowl. Here's the deal. You need Psalm 91. You don't need an army to protect you against Judea. You'd much rather have the protection of intimacy with the Father. And then the Father will say, hey, let me teach you what I meant when I told David I'd prepare for him a feasting table in the presence of his sharks. So they're like, Lord, excuse me, Lord, I know you can raise the dead. Apparently, you're not smart. Judea, Lord, look at me. I'm Philip. I need to teach you because I have a Messiah complex and I need to save this situation. Lord, surely you meant Samaria. So here's how the Lord responds. Um, only a few days ago, uh, the people in Judea were trying to stone you. Are you going there again? That is sarcasm. Oh, if you don't catch that. The Lord does not say, Philip, I forgot. He says there are 12 hours of daylight every day. During the day, people can walk safely, and they can see because they have the light in this world. But at night, there's a danger of stumbling because they have no light. This is where I'm just picturing the disciples looking at me when I'm trying to explain trigonometry to Jack Norris at age 9. They have no idea what he's talking about. <laughs> Verse 11, then he said, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I will go and wake him up. 
I love this. They object again. When the Lord's speaking to you, shut up. Just hush. You'd be way better off just being quiet and saying, hey, Lord, can you, like when he starts speaking, can you help me get past my carnality? Because I know you're brilliant and I'm not. And you can see what I can't see. Instead of trying to give the Lord help in grooming you. Come on. Verse 12. The disciple said, Lord, if he's sleeping soon, he'll get better. It's a good thing I'm not Jesus. That's when it would have just been like. In verse 12, Chad slapped Philip and Andrew. <laughs> they thought Jesus meant Lazarus was simply sleeping. But Jesus meant Lazarus had died. Here's the deal. These disciples played a role in changing the world. Don't beat yourself up too much. They couldn't do arithmetic, one plus one arithmetic, and somehow they changed the world. I love this. I love this. Verse 14, because I tell the Lord all the time, it's something between me and him, me and the Father. I don't like riddles. I don't like dreams that are so complicated. I feel like I need to go to IHOP and sit there for a month to try to figure it out. It, I love this in verse 14. So he told them plainly. <laughs> I don't know why he always did this. If you read Mark and you get into the parables, I think the disciples had panic attacks all the time when he goes, imagine a farmer scattering seed. If I'd have been one of the disciples, I'd be like, imagine you just telling me what you're trying to say. I, he, the Lord gives in here, verse 14. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. There is humor all in this passage. No, don't go to Judea. Lord, have you forgotten? What? Lazarus is sleeping. No, he's dead. He's dead. And for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there. I love this. For your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there. For now, you will really believe. Come, let's go see him. And then Thomas, I'm going to talk to him about this one day. Why he said this, I have no idea. I, know, I don't know where it came from. This is his squirrel moment. He says, hey, let's go too and we'll die with Jesus. At what part was the Lord talking about the Lord dying? The Lord is talking about raising Lazarus from the grave and somehow Tom, Thomas turns it in to Jesus is going to die. Here's the deal. Be patient with yourself. If you're a disciple, you're probably not that dumb, honestly. <laughs> Thomas, nicknamed the twin, said to his fellow... Okay, verse 17. When Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus... You're not going to believe what I feel like the Lord just showed me. He said many times he had to separate from his disciples to get away from them, not just bond with the Father. I'm not kidding you. He just told me that. <laughs> I cannot believe that just happened. Makes sense. He just told that to me. Some of you are going to be really uncomfortable when you get to heaven because uh, the, the Lord and the Father and Holy Spirit are not nearly as uptight as many of you believe He is, or they are. Hello, Father. Some of you, you think you can get to heaven and get your report card every three days on how you're doing. Maybe he really likes, enjoys you. Maybe he's enjoying the part of your journey you're in, even if you're the biggest point of doubt in your life. Like maybe you're in an apathetic season and he's just right there with you. What if he's not like you think he is? Really? You know, if all of your thoughts about God have gotten to where you are and you don't like where you are, just get some new thoughts. <laughs> Why don't you read somebody that uh, irks you, challenges you? You know, a lot of time people, they say they have community. It's really not community because if there's no conflict in community, it's not community. They will just gravitate towards people who always agree with them, like them, and worship them. 
You might just need someone who's constantly just kind of stirring you a little bit. (sighs) Let's go down to verse 30. So many of us know this story. Jesus has stayed outside the village where the place where Martha met him. And when the people who were at the house consoling Mary saw her leave so hastily, they assumed she was going to Lazarus' grave to weep. So they followed her there. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up with him. Have you ever heard that before? A deep anger welled up in him. This is Jesus, divine. So I started asking him a couple of days ago in Atlanta. I was doing some leadership training. Why are you so angry? And he started showing me. So you got two options. You know how Colossians 3, 1 through 3 says to um, set your hearts and minds on things above. Get higher. Stay there. Live from the glory around to here. Most of God's kids, at least a lot of God's kids, are typically trying to, to live from this round towards that round. Well, Jesus, you see, we're already seated in heavenly places with Jesus. Right now, already, if you're in Christ. Jesus had an amazing ability to live here from there. His mind, heart, his entire connection was always on the Father. And when I say always, I mean always. And so he would see things through the realm of what I call the eagle. There was an an, an eagle, a portrait brought to the table conference, and the Father told me to put it in my office. And it came from Bethel Church, and someone bought it out there. And I look at that eagle a lot, and when I see that eagle, here's what I'm subconsciously even thinking. Father, I always want to see everyone and everything through your lens first. I never want to process anything through this realm. I want to see it from a higher realm. In the past month, the Father has shown me four people gossiping and slandering me, what I'm involved with here. All four times I gave a, um, I confessed to someone what the Father was saying, and it manifested all four times. You can get to a place, literally, where the Father will show you tons of things that happen before they happen. And if you think that's because you're anointed because you're a minister, listen, this is about intimacy. This, this isn't about the great title. You know what my title is? My title's Chad. I want you to call me Chad. Whatever I am on the fivefold, that's great. God bless it. Listen, my name is Chad. I'm telling you, you get to such a place of friendship with God. It becomes so much fun when God shows you so many things before they happen. All that is, is saying, Father, I don't want to live from this realm. I want to live from that realm into this realm. The Lord was looking at this through the lens He was looking right at the enemy, and he saw the destruction that the enemy brought to the earth, even post-Genesis 3. He was so furious at the enemy because we messed up what God set up. It was never supposed to be this way. There was an anger that rose in the Lord because he was about to have his Rocky Balboa moment where he told Lazarus, I don't care how bad you stink. You're asleep. You're not dead. Everyone else sees you as dead because they're natural-minded. You're asleep. Wake up. The Lord gets furious at the enemy here. Now, the natural reasoning carnal minds around him have no idea what's going on. I mean, guys, you're dead four days. Do you understand how graphic this is? He gets angry because he's seeing through the lens of that realm to this realm. Where have you put him? Notice he's not begging God. He's not shaking. He's not praying in tongues. He is a boss. He's a boss. He's a general. He's God. The Lord told him, Or they told him, Lord, come and see. And then Jesus wept. He gets mad at the enemy first and what he sees. And then his empathy, compassion, love, and tenderness towards the people. There's a a, a message with the righteousness message right now that says your emotions 
should not get in the way, and it's been taken to the place where you shouldn't have any emotions. Jesus Christ is furious, and now he's weeping. Don't listen to that garbage. Some of you just need to cry. Some of you just need to cry. I had a moment where I've been through a lot of warfare recently, and I had a moment at the gym the other day, and if you could have seen me, it was, it was, it just, it, it was from my spirit, man. For about 30 seconds with the kettlebell, I was talking to the Father about something. He was showing me something, and an anger rose up on me because I am on this earth to destroy the works of the enemy. That's what I'm doing. There ought to come times when you have an altercation with the enemy every once in a while, and it's not as peers. It's as you over him, him under your feet, and you reminding him he's going to pay for what he did to your life. Oh, but this message of keep your emotions intact. No, some of y'all need to have more emotions. Some of y'all need to wake up. I gave a word over our youth group last night to my son, Sam. I saw a spirit of apathy trying to attack our youth group, and I went after it. And I, you see, because we're not from down here. Some of you think you're going through seasons, and you don't even know why you're doing what you're doing. You might be getting annihilated by the enemy. And some of you need to wake up. Some of you need to get higher. Because what's going on in your life may not be natural. You see, Jesus saw the spirits behind Lazarus, and he was furious at them. And then this is what he says. This emotion comes over him, and he says, roll the stone aside. But Martha gives her carnal. The smell will be terrible. And Jesus doesn't say, oh, Martha, I love you so much. In verse 40, didn't I tell you? Stop objecting to what God is saying in your life. If he gave you a promise over your business, then stick with it until the day you die. There's too much carnal reasoning going on. And you see what happens. Um, He says to him, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of these people standing here. I love this. He is not talking to the Father. Ask him to do anything. He said, Father, I know you always hear me. He didn't ask the Father to raise Lazarus from the grave. And then he shouted. He's not just a little benign teacher. He shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, and his hands and feet were bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in headcloth. Jesus told them, unwrap him, let him go. He's still angry. Watch this. Verse 45, many of the people who were with Mary believed in Jesus when they saw this happen, but some went off to the Pharisees. Whenever resurrection power hits your life, the demons and the maggots will be attracted to it, I promise. If you're walking in power, you will have, to the degree you walk in power, you will have that much warfare. So quit whining when warfare is hitting your life. You are worthy of the battle. Well, why don't the enemy just get off my marriage? How about because he, the enemy actually has a marriage to come after because you're actually full of power and the spirit realm sees you of worthy of power that you carry an authority and anointing. There are churches everywhere that hardly ever go through warfare. That would scare me to death. That is scary. When the Lord comes out of the desert towards the cross, the more he walks, the more warfare that came at him. And it came to him from the inside, people all around him. Watch this. He's the, he is the, he's the greatest leader ever. I used to see Jesus as someone who just got me to heaven when I died. Now I see him as a person that teaches me what my life can look like while I'm here. Verse 47, the leading priests and the Pharisees called the high council together. What are we going to do? They asked each other. This man certainly performs many miraculous signs. If we allow him to go on like this, soon everyone will believe in him. And then the Roman army will come and destroy both our temple and our nation. You see, I'm not even listening to the Jews right now. I can see the demonic realm behind those people who were influencing the situation. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. But you know what? You do wrestle. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. That doesn't mean you don't wrestle. Let me say that again. Some of you are tired of wrestling. 
It's because something's right in your life, not because something's wrong. Now, you may not be wrestling against flesh and blood, but you are wrestling. And look at how the Lord deals with this. Because listen, when you start walking in power, the opposition will increase. It will never decrease. I feel like I just heard Miley Cyrus' song, There's Always Gotta Be Another Mountain in My Spirit. Surely that's not God. All right. Verse 49, Caiaphas, who was the high priest at that time, he doesn't even know he's about to prophesy. You don't know what you're talking about. You don't realize that it's better for you that one man should die for the people than the whole nation to be destroyed. He did not say this on his own. As high priest at that time, he was led to prophesy that Jesus would die for the entire nation. And not only for that nation, but to bring together and unite all the children of God scattered around the world. Thank God. So from that time on, the Jewish leaders began to plot Jesus' death. As a result, Jesus stopped his public ministry. Ten minutes ago, he was about to go back to Judea. Now he's about to stop his public ministry. Who led him to do both? The Father. When the enemy comes against you to plot your own death, the reason that you stop doing public things for a while, whether it's in the marketplace, family, and church, and you get really close to the Father is that when the warfare increases, it actually drives you back to a place of intimacy with the Father. Let me, let me show you something. I've never read this. I've never seen this. He stopped his public ministry among the people and left Jerusalem. Interesting. He went to a place near the wilderness. Mark that. I, man, I may just be blessing myself, but watch this. The wilderness is where his ministry began. It's where he got his intimacy and it's where he got his passion. It's where he got his power. It's where he got his identity. It's where, it's where the, the wilderness was one of the, if not the most significant journeys of Jesus. And when the warfare got really, really thick to the point of literal death, the father led him back near the wilderness. That's not just literal. That's also a picture of those times in our lives when we go through a wilderness season, it's not to hurt us. It's actually to give us what we need for when the battles come. Now watch this. What is the name of the city he's in? I'm learning to pay more attention to names. To the village of Ephraim. What if I told you that was an elevated city and from that city he could see all over the place? He went to a high place. And he stayed there with his disciples. This wilderness, he didn't just go by himself. He took those closest to him with him. There are times in your life where God will return you to a place of deep connection and intimacy with him because the warfare against your marriage, your business, your sphere of influence, your kid, the warfare intensifies to the place where you actually can't get through it until you have the oil of Abba all over you. There are certain places in God you cannot go unless you go through a wilderness or near the wilderness you've already been in. Man, you know what my picture of wilderness is? Deep connection with the Father. This morning I had to lay on the ground during worship and he just showed me images of a wilderness he took me through for seven years, many years ago. A wilderness is a time in your life you feel like your insides are falling apart. You question your own salvation. You question your belief. You question your doctrine. You question everything. There's someone that I'm really close to. I would die for this person. 
And I don't see this person often, but when I do, there's just such a, a deep connection with me and this person that only in heaven will this person know how, how, how much I love this person. And this person's going through a time in their life right now where, where they're questioning everything. And as a, a, we're all Yodas in someone's story, right? And we're all Luke Skywalkers in someone's story. As a Yoda figure who's not around much anymore for this person, I'm smiling because I'm saying this is the best thing that's ever happened to you. And it hurts. It's not a sin issue. It's a, God, where are you? Are you even, is this even real? If you can get to the other side of your wilderness, nobody, no demon in hell can take it away from you. So then when the priest come for you or Judea comes for you, it's almost like, give it your best shot. Because I went toe-to-toe with the Almighty and I'm still here. And I still walk with the limp. And so whatever you got, you little maggot spirits, you can shoot me with whatever you got. Nothing can touch the intended limp that God Almighty gave me. That's the wilderness. I found out who I was. I found out who he is. Some of you right now, you want to go to another place to get out of your wilderness because I got to have that therapy gospel because I don't feel good right now, God. I don't feel connected to you. I was, I was talking to someone today. When I went on a long fast last year, I didn't feel connected to God for 40 days. I called Jamie Galloway on day 25 and I said, this is awful. This is stupid. And he gave me a verse. And he says, the point of this fast has nothing to do with you feeling anything. Take it like a man. Keep going. (laughs) Maybe the place you're in that doesn't feel good, that feels uncomfortable. What if it's ordained? Because what if, what if, what if, being a smart aleck, what if God actually does know your future? What if he knows that you actually do need the wilderness right now? And what if you've already been through a wilderness and there comes a time where he says, withdraw, get back near the wilderness. It's in that near the wilderness that the Caiaphases, the priest, Satan himself, they don't know what to do anymore. Don't you want to be a person that wears the enemy out? You know how you wear him out? You don't go defend yourself before all the priests. You just go on to it. Go to Ephraim. Go to a, go to a place. That, leave Jerusalem. Leave the stage. Go, go to a place where it's just you and the disciples and God. And I'll close with this. Because some of you are so excited about the resurrection power that Jesus has put on your life. I have never seen this until yesterday the way I saw it. It was now almost time for Jewish Passover celebration. And many people from all over the country arrived in Jerusalem several days early so they could go through the purification ceremony before the Passover began. I'll close here. They kept looking for Jesus. But as they stood around in the temple, they said to each other, What do you think? He won't come for Passover, will he? Meanwhile, the leading priests and the Pharisees had publicly ordered that anyone seeing Jesus must report it immediately so they could arrest him. So six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the house of Lazarus, the one he raised from the dead. The man he had raised from the dead, a dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha served and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. What a bizarre story. Imagine that dinner conversation. Hey, what were you doing last week? I was dead. (laughs) Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume from the essence of nard, she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance. But Judas Iscariot, even in Ephraim, up on the hill, the enemy was with Jesus. Jesus was not threatened by Judas because he actually handed him the money bags knowing what was in Judas. 
when the Father shows you what's in people and hear you in the marketplace, you don't have to wig out when God shows you to. Sometimes to trigger that spirit, just hand them the money bags. Watch this, because Lazarus never saw this coming. He didn't want to die. He had no idea he was getting raised from the dead, and I promise you he don't want this. But Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said, that perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Not that he cared for the poor. He was a thief, and since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. Jesus replied, leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. When all the people heard of Jesus' arrival, they flocked to see him and also to see Lazarus, the man Jesus had raised from the dead. Then the leading priest decided to kill Lazarus too. When God puts his power on your life, your enemies will come in the marketplace and in the church. And when they come, just be like Jesus. You just be open-handed with the Father. Go where he says to go, when he says to go. Let the Father lead you. Let the Father give you your substance. And watch this. And if he tells you for a season to withdraw up into the hills near the wilderness that you've already come through, just be obedient to that. Let's stand up together. That's good preaching. Why don't you take the hand of the person beside you? Speak a 30-second blessing over the person on your left. Just out loud. Go. All right, why don't you just bless the person on your right? In the name of Jesus, may we be an obedient house all the way to the end. What he says, when he says, and how he says it, not making one excuse. Amen.